Open your Bibles, if you will, please, to John's Gospel, chapter 15. I'm looking at just two verses in John's Gospel, chapter 15. Looking at verse 14, and then also looking at verse 17. Jesus said in verse 14, You are my friends if you do what I command you. And then in verse 17, he said, And this is my command, that you love one another. True friendship is a rare gem. All of us have acquaintances. Uh, Many have uh, friends, but only a few have true friends. I'm talking about a friend that will stand by you when the sun is shining and will also stand by you when the rain comes and when the clouds come. True friendship requires total commitment on the part of both parties. A one-sided friendship is never true. Uh, Jesus said, you are my friend if you do. You notice the word if? And the word do, you're my friends if you do what I command you. These are simple words, but they are tremendously challenging. Uh, These words will tell us and show us how to have true friends. True friendship is based on total commitment on the part of both. And it has to be shared in three different ways. And we're going to look at the area of friendship, and then the depth of friendship, and then finally the quality of friendship. Jesus said, you are my friend if you do what I command you. Look with me for a few minutes at the area of total commitment in friendship. I'm talking about the scope of it. In the Bible, you'll find many different special friendships. For example, there's Ruth and Naomi. There's Paul and Barnabas. But when I think about friends, I go back to David and Jonathan, back to the Old Testament. And you'll find their story written in First and Second Samuel. I don't believe that there was a greater friendship than that between David and Jonathan. And yet it was not everything that it should have been. The story is told in 1 Samuel and in 2 Samuel, and I'm going back to the end of the story and then bring you up to the beginning of the story. It is the story of a shepherd boy by the name of David, David, and the son of a king, Jonathan, the son of King Saul. If you begin at the end of the story, you'll have to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 1. And this is what was taking place at the time. The Israelis and the Philistines were fighting at a battle at Mount Gilboa. Uh, David and his 400 men were at Ziglag, a good ways away. And one day, a man arrived 
from the Israeli army. His clothes were torn. He had dirt on his head, and he came into the camp of David. And David said to him, Who are you? And he told him who he was. And then David said, Where did you come from? And he told him. And then David said, How did the battle go? And he said, Thousands were killed, and among them King Saul and Jonathan. King Saul and Jonathan. And when David heard the word that his friend Jonathan was dead, the Bible said he did two things. It said, first of all, that he tore his clothes, and then he wept, and he fasted. And then when he could get his composure, he composed a dirge. And I want you to listen to what he said in that dirge. He said, how I weep for you, my brother Jonathan. How much I love you. Your love for me was more wonderful than that of a woman. What a word to go from the mouth of David to his friend Jonathan. It seems to me that that's an example of almost perfect and true love. But now then, I want you to go back to the first time when Jonathan and David met. You've seen the end of the story and the sadness that came to the heart of David. But let's go back and look at 1 Samuel, beginning at chapter 17. Because this is when David and Jonathan first met. You remember the story well. The Philistines and the Israelis were once again at war. Uh, the Philistine army was on the slope of one mountain, the Israeli army on the slope of another. The battle was to be fought down in the valley, but neither army was willing to go first into the valley. And then finally there was a giant by the name of Goliath. He was a Philistine giant. And he walked down the end of the valley and he threw out a challenge to the army of Israel. He said something like this, there's no reason for all of us to be killed. Why don't you send me a man and he and I will fight and the winner will take all. And he did that for days and nobody would take the challenge. David is a teenage boy and he's taken care of his father's sheep. And his father said to him one day, David, I want you to go and see how your brothers are doing. Three of them were fighting in the Israeli army. And I want you to take them some food. David went. And when he went, he saw this giant walking into the valley and throwing down the challenge and nobody would take it up. And David looked at his brothers and he said, I'll fight him. And they laughed at him. And somebody told King Saul that David said he would fight the giant. And King Saul said, no, no, you're just a lad. You can't do it. And David said, I can do it because I will go in the name of the Lord. And he said, one day while I was taking care of the sheep, a lion came and I slew him. And another day a bear came and I slew him. I will go in the name of the Lord and slay the giant. Finally, King Saul gave in 
And David started down the slope of the mountain. He reached down and he picked up five smooth stones and he began to run. And the giant laughed at him and said, I'm going to give your meat to the vultures. And David reached in his back pocket and pulled out his slingshot and put one of those stones in it and slung it. And it went right between the eye of the giant and he fell dead. And David cut off his head and the war was won. God's people had gained the victory. It was every bit of the Lord's doing. The giant was slain. And when that happened, King Saul asked, Who is that young man? And they said, He's the son of Jesse. Three of his brothers are fighting in your army. And he said, I want him to come and live with me, and I want him to be one of the officers. Now remember that David is just a teenager, maybe 17 or maybe 18 years of age. But the king saw something in his life. But the most amazing thing that happened that day, uh, when Jonathan saw David's courage, and when he saw him kill the giant, they bonded together. They became as if they were brothers. And they gave one another a commitment that they would love each other. I want you to notice what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1. It said this, And Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as he loved himself. And he swore to David that he would be his blood brother. And he sealed the commitment that he made with David. And the scripture said he gave David his tunic and his sword and his bow and his belt. And the two men were now true friends. And then it wasn't very long until uh, King Saul and Jonathan were coming into town. And some of the women were dancing and singing songs. And in one of the songs they sang, they said something like this. Saul has slain his thousands, and David has slain his tens of thousands. And when they said that, jealousy arose in the heart of King Saul. And from then on, he became an enemy, or at least David became an enemy of his. Time and again, King Saul sought to slay David. In fact, he even ordered his soldiers to slay him. And then one day, he even told Jonathan to slay him. Jonathan, of course, refused to do it. Instead, he defended David, and he went to his father. And he said to him, look, David is a good man. David is an honorable soldier. There's no reason for you to hate him. Why are you going to kill him? And he appeased his father, and he did not kill David at the time. He changed his mind, and David was once again in his favor. But it wasn't very long until David was once again under the wrath of King Saul. He wanted to kill him. And one day, while they were sitting in the palace, and David was playing on the harp, soothing the nerves of the king, the king hurled a javelin at him, and David jumped to one side, and it missed him. And David had to run. 
He had to flee for his life. And so once again, he went to his friend, Jonathan, and he said to him, Jonathan, your dad's going to kill me. I can't stay anymore. I can't live anymore in the army. I can't live in his home anymore. And then Jonathan responded. And look at what he said in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 40 and 41. He said to David, whatsoever you want me to do, I will do it. Because he loved him as he loved himself. And the two men separated. But notice this verse. They kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. Notice those words. David wept the most. And with this, we come to the fourth and final meeting between David and Jonathan. I want you to look at this meeting. Uh, David is being hurled, hunted by King Saul. And Jonathan arose and said to him, I'm going to give you a symbol, a sign, whether you need to flee or not. And they went into the side of the woods. And David, or Jonathan rather, gave David a sign that it would be better for him to flee. And Jonathan rose and met David in the woods. And look at what it says in verse 17. He said, David, don't be afraid. My father will not lay a hand on you. You will be king of Israel. And then the scripture said they parted. Jonathan went to his home and David went to Horesh. Now, by all accounts, this is one of the greatest friendships that you will ever find. Both men express love for one another and devotion, but there is something missing. There's just a little bit. The area of commitment is okay, but what about the depth of the commitment? And what about the quality of the commitment between the two? Now let's look for a moment at the depth of the friendship. Uh, this friendship between David and Jonathan failed. Now you say, well, it looked pretty good to me so far. But I tell you that it failed. Because Jonathan was not fully 100% committed to David. And the scripture tells us that. It shows us that. Do you notice that every time David and Jonathan met, whenever they met, they always separated and Jonathan went to the palace and David had to go to a cave. He had to go to a cave because he was hunted by Jonathan's father. I want you to go back to that second time when Jonathan and David met. Uh, whenever uh, David killed Goliath. I want you to notice that uh, Jonathan gave David his robe. That denotes rank. He gave David his weapons. That denoted resistance. He gave David his belt. And that denoted riches. But he never gave David his sandal. Now you wonder what in the world does a sandal have to do with it? He gave him his robe, his bow, his belt, 
but he never gave him his sandal. Now, in the Bible, sandals or shoes uh, were more than just footwear. Uh, shoes spoke of sonship. You remember the prodigal son when he came home, his father said, get some shoes and put on his feet. Shoes were very valuable, not only for footwear, but they were valuable for something else very important. I want you to go with me to the fourth chapter of the book of Ruth. It is the final chapter. You're already familiar with the story, but let me tell it to you quickly. Uh, in the book of Ruth, we find a man by the name of Elimelech and his wife, Naomi. They had two sons. Uh, they were from Bethlehem, but there was a famine and they left. <clears throat> and they went into the land of Moab. And the two sons married Moabite women. And finally, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And her two sons died. And she and the two uh, uh, daughters-in-law were still living. She said, I'm going back to Bethlehem. And they said, we'll go with you. You remember that Ophir turned and went back. But Ruth went on. She went back to Bethlehem with Naomi. And the scripture said it was the time for the harvest of barley. And Ruth needed to glean in the fields of somebody. And so she picked out a field and she followed the reapers and picked up that which they had dropped. And it so happened that it was the field of a near kinsman by the name of Boaz. She didn't know it. She came home that night and told Naomi about this man. And Naomi said, well, he's a close relative. He's related to Elimelech, my late husband. Well, the gleaning went on. And Boaz fell in love with Ruth, and he wanted to marry her. And he wanted to redeem the land that belonged to Elimelech. And so, one day, he realized that there was a closer relative than he. And so, one day, he went to the gate of the city and stopped. And he waited until that relative came by, and he stopped him. And he said to him, I want to talk with you. And then he gathered ten witnesses. And the Bible said that Boaz spoke to him. And he said to him, Elimelech's farm is going to be sold and you are first in line. Would you like to buy it? He said, I will. And then Boaz said to him now, along with buying the land, you've got to marry Ruth, the Moabite girl. He said, no, no, I can't do that. I can't do it. You go ahead and buy the land. And then the Bible said that he took off his shoe and he gave it to Boaz. This is a legal transaction, but Jonathan never gave David his shoe. He held back just a little bit. It was a one-sided relationship, not a complete relationship. Think of Jonathan's behavior. As you look back at it for just a moment, every time they met and departed, they separated. Jonathan felt for David. He even fought for David, but he never followed David. Remember that David gathered around him 400 men. 
Uh, they were men who were distressed and distraught. They were men in debt. And he and those 400 men <clears throat> hid from King Saul. Sometimes they had to fight with him. But did you notice Jonathan never joined David? If Jonathan had joined David and the 400 men, he would not have been killed on Mount Gilboa. But he never gave David his shoot, and he never gave David his complete following. He always went back. He always went back to the palace, and he went back to the place of, of his own service, and he went back to perish. I want you to come quickly to the quality of their friendship. We've seen the area, it's wide. The depth, it looks pretty good. But I want you to look at the quality of his friendship. Now, up to this point, you have enjoyed the message. Uh, it's been an interesting story for you. But now then, the story becomes a real challenge for you and me when we think about the quality of our friendship with Jesus Christ. Remember what he said? He said, you are my friend if you do what I command you. You say, oh, I love the saying, oh, how I love Jesus. That's wonderful. Great words. But true friendship is more than words. There has to be action that goes along with the words. Because Jesus said, if you are my friend, you are my friend, if you do what I command you. There has to be obedience. And then he said, and this is my command, that you love one another. Now, the word love that he uses is the word agape. It means divine love. It is not the word phileo, which means brotherly love. It is a divine love. It is not simply love, but it is love for someone. Now then, how are we to love Jesus? Well, listen to what Paul said in Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. That means let it be real. Uh, Peter writes, let love be unfeigned. That means let it be sincere. Peter again said, love one another fervently. If we are to have fellowship with Jesus, we must love one another fervently. And this love must be shown by obedience. Jesus said, if you do, the word do is very important. If you do what I command. Do you report for duty every morning when you get up? Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. You know, love is the heart side of belief. But obedience is the lifestyle. Jesus asked us to do four things for him. He said, come to me. That means trust him as Savior. He said, learn of me. That means let me be your teacher. He said, follow me. That means let me be your master. 
And he said, Abide in me, and that will be your life. If you are going to be a true friend of Jesus, you must give him your shoe, every bit of it, and then follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the friendship between David and Jonathan, but I treasure the friendship between you and me more than that. And Lord, I want to give you my shoe every day, and I want to take up my cross and follow you. And I pray that same thing for every person in this building. I pray for those who do not know you as personal Savior, that today may be the day of surrender for them. I pray for those of us who already know you, that we may surrender completely, without reservation, wholeheartedly to you. And for it, we'll praise you and thank you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. Dylan is going to be standing here to meet you. If you do not know Christ as Savior, this is the day when you can trust him. If you need to rededicate your life to him, then come to 